Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the brisk Bob Queck, the comprehensive Craig Dedrick, and the jocular Jeffrey Lees. I had to vary it up a little with the adjectives there. <laughs> Today we have JT and myself, Ange, and we're going to talk to you about beefing up your NPCs. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get-to-know gnome question. JT, have you ever had a PC become an NPC or vice versa? Tell us about it. Sure thing. So um, I'm going to do a, a quick brief story and then a, a little bit longer one. So I've had an NPC become a PC when one of my players, his character became uh, turned to stone, and he literally started packing up his stuff and leaving, not not in a huff or you know upset or anything. He was just like, well, I have nothing left to do, so I may as well go home and watch a movie or whatever. Uh, so I tossed him an NPC to play, and he had a blast doing that um, because he got to be the, the antagonist. It was an antagonistic NPC, mm-hmm. so he got to flip the tables and be antagonistic towards his fellow players, which he, he really enjoyed. So uh, Game Masters out there in uh, Gnome Stew Land, keep that trick in your back pocket. If a, through just bad luck, somebody gets taken out of the game, toss them a bone and give them an NPC to play with. My longer story is a player character becoming an NPC. So one of my roommates was unfortunately moving out of town, and we had a long-running Cyberpunk 2020 campaign running. And his character was one of the key characters in the plot arc, and I really didn't want him to go away. And uh, the, the player pulled me aside and said, hey, I got an idea. So in Cyberpunk 2020, there's this concept of cyberpsychosis. If you have too much cyberware implanted in your body, you, well, go psychotic and go on a killing rampage, you know, removing the meat bags from the world so that the robots can take over, so kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, so when I leave, here's my new character sheet. He'd already done all the work for me. He actually handed me a cyberpsychotic version of his character and said, I'm going to kill a pizza guy. I want them to order pizza from their favorite pizza joint. I'm going to intercept the pizza guy, kill him and take his place. And I'm going to deliver the pizza and then go to town trying to kill all of them. And I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. Cause that's, that's just cyberpunk to its core right there. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up doing that on my uh, roommate's very last session. I let him run his character as an NPC. Technically I was supposed to do it, but you know, it was his last session. It's what he wanted to do. And at the end of the firefight, about half the party survived and escaped, and uh, my roommate's cyber-psychotic character also escaped. So I took him over as an NPC, and, and he was a long-running villain for the party. Yeah. And it worked very well. That That's an awesome way to have a recurring villain created for you. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate that he just handed me the character sheet. I, I, I really literally had to do no work but have fun with it. <laughs> so what about you, Angie? Have you ever had a uh, PC... Or NPC flop sides? Yeah, actually, uh, so I got to play in a complete campaign for, my friend Tristan ran this, and uh, it was me, his cousin, and his wife, and we were playing the Ladies of Fazdal. We were three adventurers plus our, our dwarven cleric who kind of tagged along with us, our NPC cleric, and we went on adventures and have this whole campaign set in Tristan's homebrew world. Well, that campaign finished, you know, time passed, and 
Tristan decided he wanted to run another campaign and wanted to set it in that world. So he advanced the timeline by about 20 years, and all three of our adventurers from that previous campaign became major NPCs in the world. Oh, that's awesome. So I got to watch my, uh, my, my, deadly, uh, my deadly changeling thief become the Faceless Lady. Uh, she was this mysterious figure that was the bane of, uh, the bane of the underworld and, you know, also completely loyal to the, uh, the crown because, well, one of her companions married the prince and became queen. So it was like this whole thing where all three of our characters became these main, powerful, knowledgeable NPCs that kind of helped and assisted the current campaign's PCs, which... You know, I just got this this thrill every time we interacted with the faceless lady because I knew exactly who she was. <laughs> That's awesome. That that is a, a great way to use a PC in is a, a you know twenty years later kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, in the the reverse of the NPCs becoming PC, we had a it was brief, but we had in that same campaign, uh, one of our one of our players uh couldn't make it. And his character ended up getting kidnapped by the big bad. And all our characters were off, you know, off in the land dealing with a major issue. And we couldn't help Fiona. So we sent a message to one of the NPCs in the, the city to say, hey, Fiona's in trouble. Can you see if you can help her? And what Tristan ended up doing was he sat it out five of the uh five of the major npcs in the city that we had all dealt with and we all got to play those npcs going on an adventure to rescue fiona oh cool and that was that was a lot of fun because we got to play some of our our, our best supporting characters <laughs> in the campaign like like franz the great a hedge mage who uh was hiding how powerful he really was oh. and his uh his monkey familiar <laughs> That's cool, and that uh, that lends more depth to the the player engagement in the world as well as the world building itself. That that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a uh, it's his complete homebrew setting, and I'm totally in love with it. <laughs> so let's get into our main topic of discussion, and we're going to talk about NPCs and how to add a little more flavor, a little more variety, and a little more oomph to them. I think first off, we should kind of ping on the, the primary point of NPCs, and that's what purpose does that NPC serve for the game? And I think there's kind of three directions that these NPCs can go. And, and there's variations, and NPCs can evolve and change based on what happens in the game. But I think initially when you introduce an NPC, there's three purposes they serve. They're there to help, they're there to hinder, and they're there to add flavor to the world. Do you generally agree with that, JT? I do generally agree with that. Yeah, help, hinder, flavor the world. Um, also a little bit of just um, um, tasteless filler, and you don't want too much of that. You know, you, you want the, the, the uh, faceless crowd that is cheering and chanting for the mayor's speech or whatever. Of course, yeah. the crowd is packed full of NPCs, and you don't have to go in and describe all 60 of the people that are there. Just, you know, just mention, eh, there's about 60 or so people in the crowd, and they're really, you know, on the mayor's side for whatever speech he's giving, right? And, and that, yeah. that's just the, the kind of tasteless filler is what I call that. Um, 
maybe you call out one or two of the people in the crowd that maybe the, the, the party's interacted with before, and those become the flavor of the world, and maybe they even shift to the next tier of the helper hinder stage of things. See, I would even say the crowd itself is flavor. Um, you know, because it's the you're 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 offering the flavor of the the city or the town or the tone of the people towards the mayor. You know, right. is the mayor is giving his speech? Is the crowd jeering? Is the crowd cheering? You know, how is the crowd reacting? And that adds a lot of the flavor to the world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I I think you can you can like dump everyone else into that flavor category, and then the help and the hinder. Is, you know, I, does the NPC have information? Is the NPC working against the PCs? Is, is there, there, are they going to be, you know, an actual antagonist they get into a fight with? Or, you know, are they just, you know, helpless, you know, there to, to, to provide, you know, innocent bystanders you need to deal <laughs> yeah, with? Right. Uh, it, oh, there's actually another purpose they can serve is a plot hook. Maybe they're, they're not helping or hindering, but they're driving the story forward. Because they've been kidnapped, or someone they know is in trouble, so they come to the party and say, "Please help!" I mean, that's that's the hook for Dragon Ice. Oh yeah, right. The Volothamp's friend has vanished, and so he's going to pay the party X number of gold, and you know, hijinks ensue. More gold than he actually exactly. has to give the party. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, he gives them a down payment of what ten gold with the promise of hundred later, and. You know, later it turns out he doesn't really have that spoiler alert. You know, but yeah, the adventure's been out for a while. I, I think we're beyond spoilers on that. But yeah, well, that one's been out for a little while, and and yeah, sorry if if it's it, it's a big spoiler to you and you're about to play it. Right. But I mean, it, it's Volo. It's Volo Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you ought to expect that out of him. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think plot hook could be another purpose. When I ran that, uh, one of the when when Volo kept saying he'd he'd publish this book. One of the PCs pushed him, and he produced a copy of the book. Oh. <laughs> and so the PC bought it from him and had Volo autograph it. Nice. <laughs> and then basically every time he encountered one of the creatures in the book, he'd note in the book that he had encountered it and what <laughs> Volo got wrong. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I think another important thing to talk about with NPCs is is planned versus on the fly yeah because you you can you can take some time and plan out some of your npcs that are going to exist in the world that the pcs are going to come across but you're always going to have those npcs that are kind of created on the fly either because you've come across something you weren't expecting and you need an npc to fill that void or the players take interest in a little bit of a flavor NPC that you weren't really expecting to put much work into, and suddenly they're the star of the PC's world. Right. Yep. That's how it usually goes for me. Is is I just mentioned offhand, you know, there's a, a little girl in a blue dress with bows in her hair walking down the street, and all of a sudden, you know, the paladin in the group or whatever has to be like, oh, she's it. She might be in danger. It, it's that 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 uh, player instinct triggering a character action, right? Yeah. And, and that could have just been a, a pure throwaway. I just wanted to flavor the world a little bit by having a a cute little girl walking down the street, you know, humming to herself, and all of a sudden, now she has to have a name, and then her parents have to have names, and where does she live, and you know, what do her parents do for a living, <laughs> and uh, it, it just kind of it snowballs from there. I once uh. That 
slightly long convoluted story. There, it was a superhero game. The PCs ended up high t- taking taking over a flying pirate ship after they had arrested the captain and sent him off to jail. But his uh, first mate, a telepathic spider monkey, uh, had disappeared. Well, they were going through the ship looking through stuff, and I just offhand trying to add description and flavor mentioned that the monkey had a little black book. Okay. And basically they started flipping through it and they decided they needed to start calling some of the numbers in the book. Oh no. Which meant I was having to come up with these these NPCs on the fly and I came up with this um socialite debutante woman that had dated the monkey a couple of times. And they fell in love with her. Oh. And, like, they ended up having a whole adventure where they went out to the Hamptons to meet her <laughs> because she had information on the monkey that they could get. Oh, okay. That, it was that's just, cool. You know, it's like sometimes you will have these NPCs that you did not realize were going to exist until you were already in the game, uh, but you still have to make them work just as well as the NPCs you've you've plotted and planned for. Right. So as an example of that, uh, for those of you not benefiting from the video feed, I'm holding up to Ange a little stack of business cards. Okay. Ah. And what spawned this was uh, we were playing, I believe it was a D20 modern game. And I usually do pretty in-depth character backgrounds with, with built-in hooks for the game master to run with. Because I'm, I, you know, more game master than player, and I know how hard it is to sometimes hook a character into the plot. So I just bake in some hooks as I'm making the character background. I decided not to do that for this particular character. My background was I woke up in a cheap motel room with a dirty T-shirt on, a clean T-shirt on the nightstand, and a stack of business cards on top of the T-shirt, and I don't remember who I am. So the game master went out and bought the business cards that you can print. You know, you know, you print yourself and tear them out. Yeah. And he printed up, uh, oh, I don't know, I'm looking here, maybe 30 or 40 different business cards. And they all have business names and people's names and phone numbers. Well, all phone numbers are bogus, obviously. And street addresses and all this. And it's just, some are in Russian, actually. And he went way overboard and he detailed all these NPCs that I could potentially call at random. To, to figure out who who the heck I am, and uh, we had so much fun with that. Sometimes the the story arc would kind of stall, or or maybe we finished one story arc at the end of a, end of a session, so we come back to the next session. And this was quite a few years ago, so we didn't quite have the online tools to chat between sessions like we do now. Mm-hmm. So I'd show up and I would shuffle the business cards, pull one out. And say, I give I give Conover Research a call. I'm going to ask for Brighton Gray, senior analyst, and see where that goes. And Bill, the game master, would pull his notes out for uh, Brighton Gray. And Bill would know who Gray was and, and how he interacted with me in the past. And we would just go from there. And we had, That's awesome. we had so much fun w- with that. And that, that campaign really rode on the power of pre-generated NPCs for, uh, I don't know, maybe a year? For my Tales from the Loop games that I run at cons, I have a set I have a set list of six characters 
And as part of Tales from the Loop character creation, you you start creating NPCs that are in the world. Okay. You have one NPC that is considered your anchor. They're somebody you can go to for kind of emotional support, kind of a reset. Basically, they're they're kind of your your your. You can go to them for that that kind of reassurance that you may need in any given okay, moment. Okay. Cool. And then you you also create two additional NPCs. That are in the world. So when I created these six PCs, I also created the the NPCs that go along with them. So each character has an anchor and two other NPCs, and I've varied them up. Some of them, like Jack, who is the uh, the troublemaker, uh, one of her NPCs is Lenny the Town Stoner. <laughs> nice. And Lenny comes into play. So often, just because everyone's like, "Oh, we we need to go see Lenny. <laughs> Lenny will know what we need." Uh, and and it's so you know, I just play him as this you know, he's got kind of the '80s surfer dude kind of way of talking, and just that fuzzy you know, he is obviously stoned or coming off being stoned. <laughs> you know, kind of attitude about him, usually with some Twinkies or other snacks around. Of course, of um, course, and everyone loves him. And then there are the antagonistic NPCs that are listed in there, like uh, Christopher, the computer geek. He's got problems with bullies. And it's very easy to pull in Jason the bully with his two goons, who I generally refer to as Crab and Goyle. They don't have names other than Crab and Goyle. (laughs) But I say that, and everyone gets exactly what I'm talking about. Of course. And and that instantly brings a certain flavor to the type of thing. But you know, you you can you can establish a nice variety of NPCs for your world. Oh yeah, and that's another thing I'm gonna uh, I want to I want to touch on and emphasize. Make sure you have a variety of NPCs in your world. Yes, please. You need to make sure that the NPCs. You know, we as individuals tend to default to a certain style or certain type. But to give your players a truly deeper world, you need to make sure the NPCs go across all spectrum of, you know, nice to jerk, friendly to unfriendly, smart to dumb. You you need to vary it up. Oh, yeah. I once uh, had a friend who was running. He had run two campaign, two short campaigns, D&D campaigns for us. And in the first one, it was like there was there was a some degree of interacting with NPCs but a lot more adventure in the wild. And then in the second campaign, we actually had to go to this town to try and help these people. And I finally turned to him and I'm like, all of your NPCs are jerks. Why would I help any of these people? <laughs> right. We just right. traveled across the continent to come to this town. And I'm being treated like a pariah by everyone here. Why would I help these people? And it was at that moment that he realized he was kind of flavoring all of his NPCs as antagonistic. You know, maybe not outright bad guys or outright adversaries, but they were definitely more there to hinder the PCs than to offer anything else. And if you can't get your players to at least like some of your NPCs, then why are they going to do anything for those NPCs? Absolutely, yeah. On variety, I have a series of books 
They are by Angela Ackerman and Becca. Oh, I'm going to ma- mingle this last name. Puglisi. There's here. There's six of them. It's the negative trait thesaurus, the positive <laughs> trait thesaurus, the emotional wound thesaurus, the emotion thesaurus, and then the other two are more world building than than NPC. But I'm going to list them off anyway. One is the urban setting thesaurus, and the last one is the rural setting thesaurus. I bought these for my fiction writing. You know, that way, if um, a whole bunch of people in the room are sad, I can have somebody be sad and somebody be morose and somebody be melancholy and and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I don't go overboard with it quite like that, but that gets the point across. These books are fantabulous. Just snagging them and, you know, it adds uh, uh, that, that variety, that flavor to the world to the characters in the world, I should say. I've also got a chart here with no attribution on it. It was just an image I printed off the internet that is a wheel of drilling down. It's an emotional wheel is what it is. So if somebody's happy, you could maybe say they're joyful. Well, if they're joyful, maybe they're ecstatic or liberated. And then that's kind of where the wheel stops. There's only three layers to it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can find this with attribution and maybe we can attach it to the show notes. Yeah, I think that's I think it's a therapy tool. Oh, is it a therapy tool? Oh, yeah, I think it's a therapy tool. Okay, it was presented to me as a writer's tool, which okay, I could I could totally see this being a therapy tool as well. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that that's a good point, and it's it's even even experienced GMs can fall into this. I've I've had friends who you know are otherwise fantastic GMs, but. If you've played with them often enough, you know exactly what you're going to be dealing with when you start interacting with certain NPCs. Sure, yeah. You know, like, oh, this one's the upper crust rich guy. Oh, this one's the, you know, the punk rock guy. And you end up with these these archetypes that start to become stale. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm going to pitch the emotional wound thesaurus for that because we've all got those. Every, everybody's yeah. got some flavor of... of you know, baggage or wound or however you want to phrase it, just flipping through there, even at random, just just rifle through the pages and then point at a random spot on a page and go, okay, the upper crust rich guy has trust issues. Lenny the stoner, Mm -hmm. he's stoned all the time because you wouldn't believe the stuff he's seen. <laughs> right, uh, or or whatever. In yeah, and obviously with anything random, like just picking a random emotional wound, if it doesn't make sense for the character, re-randomize. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't figure out a way to jigsaw to, to to jigsaw puzzle that wound in or that that trait into the char- existing character as you know it, re-randomize. You know, random should not rule the world. Yeah, and and you know, I'll I'll say. Don't be don't be super tied to your expectations for how a particular NPC is going to be perceived. If you have designed an NPC that you think is going to be a great support character for the the PCs and they don't get attached to that character, just move on. Yeah, yeah. You know, just move on. One of one of my one of my greatest successes as a GM that I pride myself on was making my PCs fall in love with this one NPC. It it was an Eberron campaign and I set it up that it was five years after they had all first met during the last war. And I set up 
you know, they had another member of their platoon that had lost his arm during one of the later battles of the war. And they were all meeting in Sharn for a reunion. And I wanted them to, to like have this sense of they had a past without having to play through that past. So I kind of established this NPC that had been a member of their platoon with his missing arm and did, uh, you know, did a bunch of scenes with him and them. And I was actually able to get them to feel that, that bond they had with this NPC, you know, through cool. playing him, playing a flashback and just kind of playing up the history they were supposed to have by using this NPC to talk about their history. And at this point, if anything ever happened to Redley, they would probably tear down the Towers of Sharn <laughs> to rescue him. Nice. You know, so it's like, it's like, it worked. It worked. Because that's, it's, um, that is one of the other things you can do with NPCs is you can use it to use them to reinforce the the perception of the PCs in the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, if a player is making a character that is supposed to be known for a particular thing, have the NPCs know about that particular thing. Have them be able to be like, oh, oh, he's the guy that, that you know, did that thing. And, like, that reinforces who that PC is in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can do these things to kind of help reinforce what the players are doing as well. Oh, yeah. So. And how the NPC reacts to the mention of an event, a place, a person, or whatever, will flavor how the players are going to approach that person, place, or thing. Because yeah. if the NPC they get the information from is scared of the Wizard's Tower, they're going to be more cautious. If the the mm -hmm. NPC says, oh, yeah, the wizard at the top of the tower, he's just a crazy old buffoon, the PCs are going to let their guard down, most likely. At least it'll, it'll lean them in that direction. Yeah. So how the emotional resonance of an NPC's reaction comes across can flavor how future actions by the party are, are going to take place. Yeah. I think we should probably start wrapping up. Are there any last words you'd like to have about NPCs? I want to take one quick bullet point you have here and, and make note of it. You had uh, in our show notes here the what do NPCs want or what do NPCs need. That is invaluable information. I'm going to tack on another thing to that is mm -hmm. why do they want or need it? The motivation. What is their motivation behind their goal? Right. Because that will flavor how they approach accomplishing said goal. And and this doesn't need to be something related to the plot or related to the PCs. It could just be, this is Mother Agnes, who is the local midwife, and she wants to make sure that uh, her next charge, you know, has a good delivery. This is what she wants. Sure. And just the PCs are kind of, the PCs are kind of in her way for what she is trying to do, and that will flavor her reactions. But if you know what that NPC needs and wants, then you can kind of play them a little more than, you know, a little more in-depth than you might have otherwise. Absolutely. Yes. So that's kind of my closing thoughts. How about you, Ange? Yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think as a, as a GM, take a step back. Uh, you know, take a look at the NPCs you've had in your game recently and 
and change it up. Offer some different options the next time your 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 players are coming in. Make sure you're keeping it fresh for them because if you don't if you don't do that, if you don't stay aware and on top of what you're presenting to the players, it will still start to get stale. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and you don't really want that. I think that's that's everything. Yeah. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon bagger by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by... I'm not going to go jokey on this one. Gnome Stew through Encoded Designs did a book on NPCs a few years back called Masks, A Thousand Memorable NPCs for Any Game. It really is worth picking up. It's got a ton of NPCs in it, you know, just little blurbs to spark your spark your imagination and offer some variety for your world. It's 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 honestly it's worth picking up. So if you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Bonus experience: Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest jokes gaming has to offer. Yep, die mad about it. <laughs> you can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. JT, where else can we find you on the internet? Uh, my one-stop shop is going to be my website, which I know that's kind of old school these days, but uh, jtevans.net is where you can find me online. Honestly, it's rarely updated, but at the top of every page, you can find links to all my social media goodness, and, and that stuff typically is updated almost every day. So there you go. How about you, Ange? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Uh, though, as always, I will warn that Instagram is mostly pictures of my cats, especially right now because I'm, you know, we're all kind of stuck home. And, right. uh, you know, my cats are like, what are you doing here? So I'm having more opportunities to take pictures of them. Nice. So, do you think we avoided the stew this week? Could we maybe uh, replace ourselves with a couple of NPCs? That's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, grab an NPC and toss them in instead. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Welcome to the Gnome... Ah, okay, ignore that. <laughs>